0: Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, howdy, hey, it's uh, great to see you this morning. I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, my name is Timothy Atik. I'm the executive director of Breakaway Ministries in College Station, and I just love this church. It's always a joy to get to be here with you on uh, on a Sunday morning. I know we just had Thanksgiving. I know we're looking ahead to uh, Christmas. I actually want to take us back to Halloween, which feels all sorts of wrong uh, here at church on a Sunday, but I want to just tell you, we've got a little tradition In our house or I have a tradition with my boys I would imagine many of you have with your kids on Halloween we actually go out trick-or-treating for an hour or two hours on on Halloween night and after my kids kind of go door-to-door asking people for candy uh, we come back home and I take their baskets and I pour their baskets out on the table and I begin to sift through their candy and I do that for two reasons the first reason is I want to see what candy I'm going to have to eat over the next few days because of the dad tax, all right? It's, if I'm going to take you out, you owe me, all right? And so this is what is rightfully mine, Uh, and so I take the dad tax unapologetically. And then the the second reason that I sip through their candy... (laughs) is I just want to check and see if anyone has put anything shady into their baskets. Uh, Inevitably, every single year, every single time that I look through my kids' candy, the result is always the same. It is always a mixed bag. There's always some really good stuff, and then there's some really bad stuff. And so this morning, I have uh, Donatello the purple Ninja Turtle with us here. This is actually one of my son's uh, Halloween baskets. And uh, I'll just show you. Man, Halloween can be a mixed bag. I mean, there's times where there's there's the good stuff, so there might be some M&M's. There might be a Twix, which is pretty tasty. For me, it doesn't get any better than a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Anytime, anytime chocolate and peanut butter kind of team up together, that is a winning combination for me. So there's always the good stuff, but then there's, then there's the bad stuff as well. So there's the person who put raisins in my kid's basket. <laughs> Let me just say this. If you're one of the people giving out raisins, just turn your light off, all right? <laughs> It'll save you money. Just turn your light off. We don't want this. We we don't want this. There's uh, there's the sucker, the dum-dum, where the wrapper's kind of coming off. Yeah, my kids aren't going to eat that. There's no way I'm going to let them have that. There's these nasty things, these butterscotch things that you pay money for and give out to my kids. We do not appreciate it. And then... Uh, then there's a person who will put a toothbrush, <laughs> and this, this has got to be a dentist. Come on, if you're a dentist in here, just give us one day, okay, just one day. But uh, man, it, it's a mixed bag. There's, there's a bunch of good stuff, and there's a lot of bad stuff, and the reason I even share this with you this morning is that life can be a lot like trick-or-treating. You can go out into this world, and this world will inevitably hand you a mixed bag, there's going to be times in life that are full of joy and then there's going to be times in life that are full of sorrow. There's going to be times in life where everything is as it should be and then there's going to be times where things are falling apart. There's going to be times where it feels like things can't get any better and better, and then there's going to be times where life is extremely disappointing. And you can do what my kids do where you get side by side and you pour out your candy and kind of compare. You can get with your friends and you can pour out the bags of your life on the table and you can kind of compare. And some of you guys are going to have more joy than others and some of you guys are going to have more sorrow than the other. But the reality is every single person gets a mixed bag in life. And it might feel weird talking about Halloween right here where we're sandwiched between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But it's actually perfect timing talking about the mixed bag of life. Because some of you are coming back from a few days off, spending time with family, and you're packed full of joy. And then others of you hate the holidays. You hate them. This is one of your least favorite times of year. Because of the emotions that it evokes in you. So it's actually perfect timing that we're talking about the mixed bag of life. How do you maximize joy in the midst of the mixed bag of life? Well, it's going to require some shifts in your perspective. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you three key truths that you need to know when navigating your way through the mixed bag of life. These three key truths are hopefully going to shift your perspective which will result in maximized joy, even in the midst of a mixed bag of life. If you have a Bible, turn with me this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Some ushers are going to be handing out Bibles. If you don't have one, feel free to take one. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at all, consider this a gift from FaithBridge to you. This is not something you're borrowing. This is something that you get to keep and take home and read. But this morning, we're going to We're going to learn from King Solomon, who's the wisest person to ever walk the face of the earth besides Jesus Christ. And as Solomon is going to speak to us, as God's going to speak to us through Solomon, we're going to get three key truths which will shift our perspective in the midst of the mixed bag of life. The first key truth that you need to know when navigating your way through the mixed bag of life is this. Do not expect your best life now. Do not expect your best life now. Look at what Solomon says in verse 1 of chapter 9. He says, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise in their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It's the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is a sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness, is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. So uh, Solomon is simply looking around and he makes this observation. Loving God, living for God, and making wise choices does not ensure that you're going to get a better bag than those people who don't love God or live for him. What this means is is loving Jesus and living for Jesus does not mean that life is going to be easy for you. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be more hashtag blessed than other people. It doesn't guarantee you anything. This side of eternity. Life will be a mixed bag. And if you doubt that at all, Solomon says all you have to do is look at the fact that followers of Jesus Christ still die. That's all you have to do. You, all you have to do is look at the fact that followers of Jesus Christ and those who don't give a rip about Jesus Christ both die. And it points us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve um, ate the fruit. And sin entered this world. In this world where everything was as it should be became a place where nothing was as it should be. It became a broken and busted world. And there were two major consequences for Adam and Eve's sin. The first consequence is that they were separated from the physical presence of God. They no longer got to walk by sight. They had to begin to walk by faith. The second major consequence is that death entered the picture. See, Adam and Eve were meant to live forever. God created them to live with him for all eternity. But when sin entered the picture, God put an expiration date on their lives. And that sin has been passed down to each one of us. And each of our lives has an expiration date on it. See, the fact that you will one day die physically on this earth is all the proof you need that you are not sheltered from the effects of a broken and busted world. A world that has been fractured by sin, you are not sheltered from the effects or the consequences of sin in this world. And some of you don't need me to tell you this. I mean, that what I'm saying is obvious to you because you are living in the midst of pain, heartache, or disappointment right now. Maybe your home was devastated by Harvey and you're still experiencing the effects of it. Maybe cancer is a reality for your home. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe finances are extremely tight right now. And so you're living in the midst of pain, heartache, or disappointment. These times in life can be very revealing times. If you're living in the midst of disappointment or pain or heartache, answer this question. Do you think God is doing everything he should be doing in your life? Do you think God is doing everything he should be doing or is God in some way dropping the ball in your life? I know for me, in the times of my life where I've experienced heartache or pain or disappointment, I think about the times when when I've lost a friend or... Uh, a loved one. I think about when, when one of our sons had to have an extended stay in the NICU once he was born, and we weren't expecting it. I think about having a miscarriage. I think about the times that we've dealt with pain or disappointment. There's been a question that has instinctively fired off inside of my soul, and it's this, God, why don't you do something? Or maybe it's this, God, why would you let this happen? What we have to realize is that if we ask those questions, something is being unearthed inside of us, and it's this unspoken expectation that God should be sheltering us. He should be doing something more. There's these unspoken expectations that we have of God, that if we love him and live for him, he should ensure that we have an easy life or a pain-free life or a blessed life. And the reality is, we, we believe that when we get religious to a certain point, we begin to believe that that's what we deserve. Like in some way, that's what God owes us. Like we deserve for God to intervene. We deserve for God to heal. We deserve for God to show up. And do something that would alleviate our uncomfortable circumstances. But we have to realize that when we begin to believe that we are somehow entitled to God doing something like that, we've stopped believing in Christianity. We've begun to believe in karma. See, karma is the belief that if you do good, you get good, and if you do bad, you get bad. That's karma, that's not Christianity. Christianity is about following Jesus. And Jesus says this in John 16.33. This is a verse that I've shared here multiple times. But Jesus Christ says this. He says in John 16.33, and this is just hours before he's betrayed and arrested. These are kind of his last words to his friends. You, You save your most important things for your last moments. And he says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is Jesus Christ being as clear as he can possibly be. I just imagine Jesus being like, I I can't think of a more clear way to say it. In this world you will have tribulation. In this world you will have trouble. Not you might, Not it's a possibility, but you will have trouble. He says, but take heart. But take heart because I have overcome the world. See, Jesus never promises to shelter us from the brokenness of this world. People who passionately love Jesus will get cancer and get paralyzed and have chronic pain and have miscarriages and get cheated on and lose their jobs and struggle to find jobs this will happen, and Jesus tried to prepare us for that. So in the times in life where we get bitter at God, we get frustrated with him, we get angry at him as if he somehow ripped, ripped us off and not done what we think he should do because we have committed to love him or live for him. We failed to realize that Jesus has spelled out life for us in this broken and busted world. He has never promised to shelter us from the pain that can come from living in a broken and busted world. Yet at the same time, Jesus constantly shelters us. We just don't realize it. He is constantly sheltering you. Just look at the fact that you're here this morning. I mean, what did it take for you to get here this morning? You drove somewhere between 40 and 100 miles an hour in a machine surrounded by other people doing the same while arguing with your spouse and checking your email. (laughs) And you're here. I'd say he's done plenty of sheltering just in the last hour. I mean, let's, let's, let's be serious. If you watch the news, there is no reason why any one of us shouldn't be a statistic in a death toll right now. Because life in this world is painful. There is heartache. There is Disappointment. Yet even in the midst of all of that, Jesus is sheltering. We just have to have eyes to see it. We also have to realize, though, sometimes instead of sheltering, they're sustaining. What if Jesus wants to do more sustaining in your life than sheltering? Would you be okay with that? Would you be okay with Jesus committing to sustain you through the storm instead of sheltering you from it? He is committed to sustaining you through the storm. Be grateful for what Jesus does do in your life. If you're in the midst of pain or heartache or disappointment, let me just encourage you, open your eyes and see how Jesus is at work. He might not shelter you how you want him to, but he will sustain you. And I promise you, you will get to see him and experience him and in ways you would never get to see and experience him if everything in your life was just good. You know what we really want from God? We want him to do what I do with my kids on Halloween. You know what I do is I go through all their candy and I pull out all of the bad stuff. I pull out the toothbrush, of course. I pull out the sucker. I pull out the raisins and I throw those things away. Why? So that my kid's life will just be full of Reese's peanut butter cups and Snickers and Twix and M&Ms. And that's what we want for life. We want God to pull out all the dum-dums. We want him to pull out the toothbrush and the raisins. We want him to leave us with only the good stuff. But Jesus has spelled it out for us. Do not expect your best life now. Don't expect your best life now. The second key truth that you need to know when dealing with the mixed bag of life is this. Enjoy the one life you have. Enjoy the one life that you do have. Listen to what Solomon says in verse 7. He says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. So you have to realize that even in the midst of a broken and busted world, even in the midst of the toothbrushes and the raisins and the dum-dums, there will be some Reese's peanut butter cups. Some might have more than others, but there will be times of joy. God will give you good gifts in your life, so enjoy the one life that you do have. He starts out, I love that he starts out by talking about food and drink. He says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. I talk about this with my kids. I say, hey, boys, why has God given us tongues? Tell me why. Well, the first reason he gave us tongues is so that we could talk. The second reason is so that we could talk in a way that encourages other people and we can share the gospel with other people. But the third reason he gave us a tongue is so that we could taste good things. So, Andrew, you know how you love vanilla ice cream? That's God's goodness in your life. That he gave you a tongue so you can taste good things. Man, enjoy life. Go to Chewy's and get a bowl of Creamy J, Creamy Jalapeno Ranch. (laughs) And when it hits the table, you thank Jesus Christ for it. (laughs) I'm not joking. You stop by Texas Roadhouse on the way home from church, and you get a six-pack of rolls with some cinnamon honey butter. That stuff is sweet nectar, and you enjoy it. God wants us to enjoy life. He goes on. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, let your garments be always white. Let not... Oils be lacking on your head. What you need to know is in the ancient Near East, white garments were going out clothes. Oils were put on to. To make you smell good. And so, this is God through Solomon saying, Man, get dressed up, go out with some friends. God has wired you to enjoy life in the context of community. There needs to be times where you get up and go out with friends and you allow the air to be filled with laughter and storytelling that brings joy. This is what God has wired you to do. And if if you feel lonely, like you don't have anyone, this is a great place to start. Maybe you need to transition from sporadically attending to regularly investing here at Faith Bridge and allow yourself to be fully known and fully loved. It might take a little time, but it's worth it to invest here and allow yourself to be known. God's wired you for this, to enjoy life with other people. Don't value productivity over people. Don't value possessions over people. Do life in the context of community. That's where joy is found, I promise you. And then Solomon goes on, and this is for the married people in the room. He says this in verse 9 He says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. He's saying, enjoy your marriage. And some of y'all might be sitting here this morning saying, ma'am, we are a long way off from enjoying our life together. Well, you know what? Even when you think it's over, it's not over. And Jesus Christ can do a miraculous work in your marriage but enjoy your marriage guys maybe you are long overdue for taking your wife out on a date maybe you need to schedule a date night you need to make that happen asap and that's a good thing maybe you need to plan a trip it might be a staycation it might be a real deal vacation but either way you might need that time Make time for your marriage. Let me just say this in a loving way. And I'm speaking from personal experience. It is easy to put your kids as a higher priority, higher priority than your marriage. But you have to realize you didn't make a covenant to your kids. You did make a covenant to your spouse. Your marriage is actually more important than your kids'. And there's nothing noble about valuing your kids more than your marriage. It's actually better for your kids if you value your marriage more than them. Because by valuing your marriage, you will be better parents. I promise you. Enjoy your, par- enjoy your marriage. I'll just say this. My wife and I, we just celebrated 11 years of marriage. And marriage has been work. It has been work. And our marriage has by no means been perfect. It's been a very imperfect marriage. But I love being married to my wife. And I would say that there is nothing in this world besides Jesus that brings me more joy than being married to my wife, Catherine. We love being together. We love going on dates. Anytime we can get some free babysitting, we love getting to go out and share good meals and have good conversation and go see movies. We, we save up our points and so that we can go uh, on, on trips and stay in nice places and eat good food. We love spending time together. God brings a lot of joy into my life through my marriage. We love laughing together. If you're ever at a wedding that I officiate and my wife is there, I'll tell you what you're going to see. You're going to see me officiate the wedding, and then you're going to see my wife and I on the dance floor. And all that's going to be happening on the dance floor is my wife is going to be telling me to do embarrassing things, and I'm going to go do them because it's going to make her laugh. And so you're going to see the officiant going like this all around. (laughs) I'm just going to be walking around the dance floor because it brings joy to our marriage. probably too far. (laughs) There's times where we'll be driving in the car on a date and we'll have music playing and inevitably one of us will just take our hand and stick it in front of the other person's face signifying that there is now a microphone in front of their face (laughs) demanding that they sing. I'll never forget. There was a time when Cat and I we were in line for a movie theater to see a movie, and Cat took my hand and tried to hit the guy's rear end in front of us just to see what would happen. Because there's joy. (laughs) Let's pray. Enjoy your marriage. Enjoy your marriage. And if you have to get some counseling so you can get to a point where you enjoy your marriage, you get some counseling. But do what you need to do because God has brought you all together to enjoy life together. Now. In light of what I just told you Catherine might do with my hand in line at a movie theater, this next verse is just perfectly placed. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. (laughs) I don't think that's what Solomon meant, but... He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Now, let me just be clear. What he is not saying is you're going to hell. What he is doing here when he talks about going to Sheol, you just have to understand Solomon is just focused on life under the sun which is a reference to life within the confines of the observable world. He is not taking into account the afterlife. So what he's saying right here is whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. He's saying God has wired you uniquely with different talents and gifts, so find what God has wired you to do and do it with all your might. Be passionate about it. Find what stirs the Deep desires of your heart and commit yourself to it. Experience the joy that comes when you're fully alive, doing what God has made you to do. You know what? Get a job and enjoy it. Make money. Spend money. And give money away. Enjoy life. That, that's, that's what Solomon is saying is enjoy the one life that you have. Even in the midst of the mixed bag of life, there will be the good stuff. There will be the good stuff. The scriptures refer to God as a perfect father who loves to give good gifts to his children. God is constantly giving you good gifts, so get good at enjoying his gifts, but also get good at at saying thank you for them. Be grateful in the good times in life, because when you're grateful in the good times, it will help you be faithful in the tough times. Do you see that? Those two things go together. Be grateful in the good times. It will help you be faithful in the bad times. You want to know how you can glorify God? Be very good at thanking him for his gifts. Think about it. I mean, we're in the midst of the Christmas season. Some of you guys are about to go to do a lot of work, shopping, buying gifts, so that on Christmas morning, you're going to get to see that look on your kid's face. I mean, you're going to give them something. They're going to unwrap it. And man, their eyes are going to be wider than you've ever seen them. Their jaw is going to drop. They're going to do something weird and goofy that's just flowing out of them because they are so excited about what they just got. And it's going to make you feel so good. Why? Because the reaction to a gift magnifies the joy in the one giving the gift. But think about it. Some of you guys are going to do a lot of work. And man, your kids are going to open those gifts. They're going to look at them. They're going to put them to the side. And then they're going to look up at you like, what else you got for me? And it's going to bother you. What reaction are you having to God right now? Who is constantly giving you good gifts. Are you eyes wide open looking at him like, I cannot believe you've given me this? Or are you looking at God right now like, what else you got for me? Is this all? Is this it? Get good at saying thank you. Man, if you eat a good meal, you praise Jesus for it. If you have a good end to the year in your job, man, you better praise God for it. If you have a beautiful moment of joy and laughter with your spouse, don't take it for granted. Stop and say thank you. If you have a great night out with your friends, praise God that he gave it to you. He gives good gifts. He wants us to enjoy them. Enjoy the one life you have. Before I give us our last key truth that we need to know, I'll just say this. You want to know the two reasons why you will fail to enjoy the one life you have and the gifts that God's given you? Here's the first reason. The first reason is that you will spend all your time thinking about what you don't have instead of what you do have. And so instead of being thankful and content, you'll be jealous and bitter. Second reason you won't enjoy the gifts that God's given you is that you will take his gifts and turn them into gods. So food will become your God. Your spouse will become your God. Your kids will become your God. Your job will become your God. You will worship at their altars. You will look to those things to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. You need to know anytime you expect someone or something to do what only God can do, the result is always the same. It always ends in frustration, emptiness, and disappointment. I promise you. The third key truth that we need to know that will shift our perspective when we are dealing with the mixed bag of life is this. Here it is. We put our hope And the one who is beyond the sun, simply put, look beyond the sun. Listen to what Solomon says in verses 11 and 12. He says, again, I saw that under the sun, there's that phrase again, under the sun, which again means life within the confines of this observable world. He says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Solomon is simply observing the realities of life in this world. He looks around and says, you know what? When I am just looking at life within the confines of this observable world, life in this world is two things. It's unfair and it's unpredictable. And he gives some examples. He says, the fastest person doesn't always win the race. The strongest person doesn't always win the battle. The wise person sometimes is the one going hungry. Life in this world can be really unfair. And we get that. Some of you guys graduated summa cum laude, and you're struggling to make ends meet. Some of you guys graduated summa cum laude, and you're making millions. (laughs) And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem fair. Some of you have wanted nothing more than to get pregnant and fill your house with kids, but you've struggled with infertility. While at the same time, there are people in this world who don't want kids and they get pregnant accidentally. Some of you guys will take incredible care of your body. You will consistently eat right and work out, and you'll get sick or get cancer. And then other people in this world will have no regard. For good health, for eating right, or exercising, and they'll never have to see a doctor. Life in this world is very unfair. And it's not just unfair, it's unpredictable. Solomon says, think about a fish. I mean, a fish is just swimming along, and immediately a net comes and out of nowhere snatches it up. And just like that, it's game over. He's saying it's the same thing in life with us. I mean, how, how often does it happen where someone passes away and people look at that person who has passed away and they just say, it's just such a shame. They had so much life ahead of them. They were, they were so smart. They were so um, high capacity. They were so loving. Why would God take them at this time? It, it seems so unfair and also unpredictable that just in a moment's time, life can be over. If life in this world is that unfair and that unpredictable, why would you ever put your hope in what is under the sun? Why would you ever bank your joy and satisfaction and your desire for fulfillment on that which is within the confines of this unfair, unpredictable, observable world? Solomon's point is, hey, don't put your hope in that which is under the sun. No, look beyond the sun. Don't put your hope in what you have. Put your hope in the one who has you. Jesus Christ in John chapter 14 has promised He told his friends in John chapter 14, he says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to where I am so that there you will be also. That's his promise to us. It's the king of kings and Lord of lords saying, not only have I not forgotten about you, but I'm going to come back for you. And then I'm going to take you to where I am so that where I am, you will be also. Why would you ever put your hope? And what is under the sun, when you have one who is beyond the sun, promising you eternal life, where there is no more death, no more tears, no more pain. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's our king. And when you realize who Jesus is and what he has promised to do, This Jesus Christ who left heaven and came to earth, the one who was punished so that you wouldn't have to be, the one who voluntarily went to the cross and endured the wrath of God which was rightfully yours and mine. Jesus Christ who was buried in a tomb and on the third day walked out of it. Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead so that we could be raised to newness of life. This Jesus Christ, when you understand who he is, what he's accomplished, and what he will ultimately do for us, you know what it does? It allows us to trade up from frustration to anticipation. So that when we experience pain and heartache and disappointment, you know what? It doesn't have to end with frustration. It can point us towards anticipation. So if you lose a loved one, you mourn their loss. You grieve, you experience the heartache, yet at the same time you can look and say, you know what? This world is broken and busted. I'm not surprised. I won't go through this life unscathed. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. If your house is devastated by Harvey, I mean, you experience that loss. You grieve over the loss. Yet at the same time, you can look and say, I'm not surprised this world is broken and busted. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. If you lose your job, if finances are tight, you can look and say, I'm not surprised this world is broken and busted. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It allows you to shift from frustration to anticipation. The great news for us is if if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this world is the worst it will ever get for you. This is the closest to hell you will ever get. And then on the flip side, though, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I need you to know that this world is the best it will ever get for you. And this is the closest you will ever get to heaven. And the only reason I tell you that is because of what Jesus says. Right after he promises to come and take us to where he is, he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I just need you to know he is the only way to the life that you truly want, which is an eternal life with the one in whom there is fullness of joy, maximum pleasure, complete satisfaction. That's the life that we all want. It's only found in Jesus Christ. But Jesus won't force himself upon you And if you don't want a relationship with him, the last thing he will do is force you to spend eternity with him. That would be the most unloving thing he could ever do. He won't force himself upon you, yet this morning he's calling you to come and experience life with him. Because he doesn't need you, but he wants you. He loves you. He gave his life for you so you could spend eternity with him. The good news about Jesus Christ is it's not just that he's coming back for you. He wants to spend every moment of every day with you. He doesn't want to just spend eternity with you. He wants to spend now with you. That's how good our King of Kings is, that he's committed to being present in our lives every moment of every day. So even in the midst of the pain, the heartache, the disappointment, he is with us. I'll close just by sharing this with you. I've shared this story before, but a few years ago, my son Noah, we put him down for his nap, and when he woke up from his nap, he was just screaming his head off. And it lasted not just for a few minutes, it went on for that hour, and then the next hour, and then the next hour, and we just couldn't console him. And so my wife and I began to think through the options. First option is that he had a bad dream. Second option is that he was sick. Third option, is that he was possessed, and we weren't sure. We just were like, those are our three options to work with right now. And so it went on the rest of the afternoon into the evening, on into the late hours until about 10 p.m. at night. And so after he'd been crying for hours, and we were pretty confident he wasn't sick needing to go to the hospital, I made a decision. I grabbed a pillow. And I grabbed a blanket as he was crying in his bed, I walked into his room, I pulled out his trundle bed and here's all I said to him. I said, hey dude, I'm gonna sleep in here with you tonight. And right as I said that, he stopped crying, he laid down and he went to sleep. Because he realized when his father was present, it changed everything. See, we have a perfect father who has sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, who we celebrate as being, as God, With us. That's who Emmanuel is. He is God with us. Jesus Christ has come. And He's committed to being present in our lives every moment of every day. So, in the midst of the mixed bag, He's with us in the good times, He's leading us through the good times leading us to experience life and enjoy life and experience good gifts, but he's also caring for us, comforting us, consoling us in the tough times, in the midst of the pain, the heartache, and the disappointment. And one day he's going to take us to where he is. That's where our hope is. In the midst, even in the midst of the mixed bag of life, do not expect your best life now. Enjoy the one life you have, but most of all, put your hope in the one who is beyond the sun. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I just pray for my friends in the room right now who are experiencing both sides of life. I pray for the, for the people in here who are experiencing the good times in life. Maybe life is exactly how it should be, and it's a prosperous time. I pray that they wouldn't forget to be grateful. Help them to be grateful right now. Remind them, give them eyes to see all the gifts you've given them. I pray that we wouldn't take your gifts for granted. Help us to be really good at saying thank you. And I pray for my friends in here who are in the midst of a painful time or a disappointing time. Thanks that you're committed to being with us. You're committed to leading us and comforting us and caring for us. You haven't left us here by ourselves. That's a great news of knowing you, Jesus, that we never have to encounter or experience one day on this earth, this broken, busted earth. We never have to navigate it on our own because you're with us. So I just pray even now that we would be people who are grateful in the good times and faithful in the tough times, Lord, because you love us, and a day is coming where you're gonna take us to where you are. We need you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at Faith Bridge by talking with the teacher of the day.
1: Hi, and welcome to another edition of Postscript. I'm Dan Slagle. I serve as the Care and Bridging Pastor here at Faith Bridge. And today we had the good fortune to hear a great sermon on the mixed bag of life, the various things that come our way that we don't always anticipate. Thanks, Timothy, for an excellent message. Um, The text, of course, was drawn from the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about someone who perhaps is new to the Bible, and uh, let, let's just say Ecclesiastes is the first book they choose to read. Uh,
0: <laughs> Bad choice, but okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, n- not your standard fare yeah. in the scripture. Um, what would be a good um, overview or summary of that book if, if a new reader, a new believer, choose this to dive in and yeah. see what's there.
0: I actually love the book of Ecclesiastes. I, When I say bad choice, <clears throat> it's more just because people have seen it as a really hard book to understand. But when you do understand it, I think it's one of the most applicable books in the entire Bible, just because it's so practical. Mm-hmm. There's two, there's one word and there's one phrase that occur repeatedly throughout the text. The, the phrase is under the sun, mm-hmm which gives us the perspective. The perspective is everything Solomon is talking about is he's talking about removing God from the equation because he is beyond the sun and he's looking at life within the confines of the, of the observable world. Okay. The one word that keeps coming up over and over is the word vanity, okay? It's the, it's the Hebrew word hevel which it means like it's, it's the equivalent of trying to hug a cloud. And its point is that life under the sun, if you're looking for that satisfaction, that quest for meaning and purpose and love and satisfaction, it's going to feel like trying to hug a cloud hmm. that you can't seem to get what you want. And so it seems like a depressing book, but all the while Solomon's just trying to point us beyond the sun. So... It's really great because he talks about, you know, pursuing pleasure. He talks about money. He talks about injustice in the world. He talks about, you know, the the goal of wisdom. Uh, he talks about worship within religious services and all of it. He's trying to show that if you remove God from the equation, things become, it, it's that feeling like trying to hug a cloud. Sure. It's meaningless. So sure. It's just... It's very hopeful because he points us beyond the sun. Okay, to God. So, so that makes sense. Yeah. Hopefully. In
1: some the uh, the context, if you will, that a reader needs to understand is that Solomon is addressing our experience as earthbound creatures, completely Correct. divorced from the reality, the existence of God. Yep. And the end result of that earthbound uh, experience is vanity. That's right. Uh, we, we have to look beyond our experience here in order to gain meaning, That's right. purpose. Okay, That's exactly great. Right. great, great. Well, with that uh, backdrop in mind, yeah. um, three excellent truths that you gave to us today, uh, not to expect our best life now, to enjoy the life that we have and to look beyond the sun. Yeah. Uh, a- as you well know, the challenge of any sermon is to move from the pulpit to everyday life. And while those are, without a doubt, solid truths to take with us, let's uh, think in terms of moving from um, the lab, if you will, out into real life. How do these truths translate into the life of someone who, uh, let's say, is not... uh, having their best life now and finding yep. it very difficult to enjoy the life yep. that they do have, whether it's a relational issue, perhaps uh, a death of a loved one, an illness, financial issues. Uh, and, and also, in, in addition to the individual dealing with those things, how might someone best uh, minister to mm-hmm. someone else yep. who's facing these issues?
0: Yep. Well, let's start just focusing on, on yourself you know the goal is to just take a step and i want to encourage people to take a step at the beginning of their day and at the end of their day i think at the beginning of the day if you could start one of one of my close friends who's a pastor he said this he said even if god doesn't give me another thing he's already given me too much that's just understanding just how much jesus has done for us that even if he doesn't give you another good thing Mm. he's already given you too much that is a great realization to start your day with you might have to tape it to your mirror you if you can meditate on it when you wake up in the morning that even if god doesn't give me anything good today he's already given me more than i deserve sure he's already given me too much because if you can just start with that it kind of resets your mind and your heart to say you know what I'm not gonna expect my best life now. I don't have to have my best life now. And my hope isn't under the sun, it's beyond the sun. So that's where you start in the morning. Start with that, and I I think it can, it it takes the pressure off your day. Certainly brings
1: some perspective. It
0: brings perspective in the morning. And then at night, I would encourage a couple things. Number one, is if you live with anyone, whether it's a spouse or kids or roommate, is that you would share at least one God story with them, of how God showed up in your life that day, and then I would I would try and write down three things that you're thankful for from that day that God did. I like to see thankfulness as the lighter fluid to, to the fire of your faith. Mm-hmm. If fire is a great example or a great illustration for faith, and what Lighter fluid does to a fire is it causes it to flare up. I think thankfulness, it can cause the fire of your faith sure. to flare up. It doesn't sustain it, but it... It's a it, great catalyst. Yeah. It's a catalyst. So I would do that. Those are just easy things, easy steps to do to, to start your day and to end your day. And I think that it will impact the in-between, if that makes sense. It
1: does, indeed.
0: And then when it comes to other people in your life, Dan, I'd love your thoughts on this as well. But, you know... I think that we're such busy people that we just fail to enter into where people at, are yeah. at in life. And, and so I'm not talking about being fake or doing th- just going through the motions. I'm talking about one of the best things you can do is, is allow yourself to be inconvenienced by someone else, yeah. to say like, it, it is actually good for me to stop what I'm doing, to take this phone call, or to send a text, or to schedule a lunch, even though I have so much going on in this busy season, mm-hmm. and to just push pause on you to go and enter in to someone else's hurt. Sure, you know, Weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, and to, and to listen, to put your phone on silent so it's not interrupting, and to listen, and to, to empathize, and then to pray, and to commit to following up on a weekly basis, because that that keeps you engaged in what's going on with someone's in someone's life.
1: Sure. I, I would agree with that 100 um, percent. It, it never ceases to amaze me how we uh, we underestimate. And, and, and I forget even as a pastor about the, the power of presence mm-hmm. that simply demonstrating to someone you matter to me. Yep. And this pain you're experiencing matters to me. Uh, I, I can't tell you the number of times that I have done no more than simply show up, mm-hmm. uh, maybe say a prayer, give a hug at the most, yep. and then I receive a phone call or a letter indicating, wow, yep. that was so powerful, absolutely. so meaningful. Agreed. Yeah. The only other thing uh, that I would add to that is um, I, I've discovered that there are times when it is absolutely appropriate to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, to move away from any attempt to, to offer platitudes or, or wisdom that we really don't have, yep. but simply to say, I, yep. I'm i stuck in the mystery of sin just like you, that's but he, right. here's what I do know Agree. Uh, and, and begin to move toward that's the truth really of the good. gospel. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Good stuff. Well, hey, thanks for a great message yeah. as always. Love we appreciate it. Yeah, good thanks. deal. Good deal. And thank you for joining us uh, for PostScript. We'll look forward to seeing you the next
0: time.